you're on the air. Don't say anything crazy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Bro Bears Talk. It has been a little bit of a while. Brother Bear, welcome. Thank you very much, Brother Bear. I'm very excited for this one, as I am. I say that with for all podcasts, and it is truly uh, honest. Um, we obviously covered Bitcoin last <laughs> time. I'm sure there will be a good dash of Bitcoin in this one. I'll um, Either way, I'll find a way to uh, put it in. To weasel it in there somehow. Exactly. <laughs> Trust me to talk about Bitcoin. I need one of those mugs who's like at risk of speaking at Bitcoin at length. <laughs> In in Bitcoin we trust, and 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 tell me, brother, actually, as as we've already kicked this off talking about Bitcoin, tell me the quote that uh, you sent to to some family members regarding Bitcoin. I want you to to recite it to me again. Ah, indeed. Well, it is a allegedly a quote by the great Satoshi Nakamoto, of course, and the anonymous creator of Bitcoin, whom whom we covered at length on our last podcast. But essentially, the saying goes, not word for word, because you put me on the spot, you bastard. But um, I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. It's, it's, give it a punt. Um, it's something along the lines of, um, oh, God, do you mind if I just look for it on Google and you preoccupy our listeners with something else for now? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll twiddle my thumbs with the listeners, with the millions and billions of listeners. Do the proverb, you... proverbial twiddle. Okay. Well, while Andre's doing that, I'll actually I'll actually introduce kind of the uh, the area I would like us to cover um, on this podcast, and it's actually going to relate to um, kind of the meaning of life and what makes people happy, what makes people tick, what's it all for, and this is uh, one of the tritest topics um, that anybody could ever discuss because it's one of those things that you're really not meant to think about, uh, or your parents often tell you not to think about, the government tells you not to think about for too long. Um, as a lot of our podcasts have covered issues of money and financial growth, spiritual growth, but we've never tackled this head on, have we, brother? No, Bear? we haven't. And I think we should, almost like a, it is the right practice and the best practice to face waves head on as a ship should. You know, full speed ahead, not um, starboard, or bored, but straight on, and you know, really tackle the question head on. Um, I think yeah. there's so many answers to that question. You know, there's um, the yeah. obvious one that you know, the purpose and point of life is life itself. I mean, the very fact we're here is is a miracle it, on so many levels. The very fact we exist, the very yes. fact that atoms are glued together in the way they are, the fact that gravity is what it is and not a minutia smaller or greater mm. means that planets are able to orbit stars as they do it means that stars are able to form at all so i think there's many beautiful mathematical miracles that underlie our existence and i think we can almost spend a lifetime of looking at any one of these miracles in great mm. detail on the minutia so i think there was a saying where one mm. can spend a lifetime studying a blade of grass and still not be done by the end of it mm. yes and that's, you know, you, I couldn't agree more with that, really. You know, you could you can look at a minute point um, down to the micron from so many angles um, and so many different contexts and still not fully understand it. Yes. So I think almost the silent answer as to the point of life is, 
well, there's just inherent beauty in, and simplicity. It, it, it sort of both coalesced together that seemed to create <clears throat> life as we know it. And I think simply experiencing life is maybe almost the answer, um, the inherent answer or the silent answer that the universe gives us. Mm. Yeah, it, I think there's um, a lot to be said for that. I mean, it, this comes back to the Alan Watts quote that we shared earlier in the week, that the meaning of life is just to be alive. Um, it's so mm. plain and obvious and simple, but everybody rushes around in a great panic um, as if necessary to achieve something beyond themselves. Right, and I think that's such a good point, right? We were also preoccupied with sort of almost human definitions of what success is and defining that for ourselves and finding what that is for ourselves and then, you know, sacrificing a great deal of time and energy in achieving that. But I think actually 99% of the scope of life is to be found in simply the experience of living Mm. and really the way you live it is so secondary to that and it's not the sort of prime purpose at all. Mm. It's just experiencing life for what it is. Yes, exactly. Um, Just sort of... And every day, kind of, I suppose, more dynamically experiencing life without second-guessing constantly. The truth is, there, there is no definitive meaning of life. Um, I think it was Naval, actually, Naval Ravikant, who said that if we knew the meaning of life definitively, we would no longer be free. Um, the, the meaning of life, um, you know, you're, it's trite in the sense that when you're a child, you're told, you know, don't think about that, or here's God, God is the meaning of life, or, you know, go get a job, <laughs> or money is the meaning of life. Lots of people have different mm. definitions. But if there was one definitive answer, we wouldn't be free. We'd all be trying to outcompete each mm. other on trying to achieve that goal. But because we don't definitively know, you're just free to do whatever you want. You know, the meaning of life is life itself, whatever you choose for it to be. I think that's such a beautiful answer, right? Because it what it allows you to do is, like you say, live out freedom in its true um, almost purpose in that we get to define what our story how our story reads Um, and Mm. again looking at time scales this occurred to me that obviously you know the universe operates on time scales we can't even fathom and our lifetimes you know whether that's 80 or really lucky when we live to 100 is just a minute blip mm. on the radar that barely registers on the cosmic time scales so i think it's almost like the universe implicitly laughing at you for even contemplating um the idea or worrying about the idea mm. of what the meaning of my life is and rather just thinking you know you're you're nothing but a, a spark in the greater mm. cosmos um you're very lucky to experience this so just stop worrying and maybe just be Mm. just be and it's easier said than done right but oh yeah um i think everybody wants to leave a legacy um you know and everyone wants to be remembered and and i think for most humans that is the meaning of life you know i wrote a book or i made a film or you know i created something that lived way beyond me and that's to many people rightly so the meaning of life um but then you have to look back as you just noted on the sort of more astronomical level you know do you know any the names of any mayans or any um tudors beyond you know maybe one or two you know there's so many times in history you know not that long ago three four hundred years and i don't know anybody from that era um right yeah so (laughs) it's almost a pipe dream 
Yeah, and, and I think the most primitive instantiation of legacy is your offspring. Mm. That's biological legacy. And that's mm. kind of the one urge we all have is to have a biological legacy and have our DNA, our code, be passed on. So mm. that that, that mm. that's that's our... You're right, I think legacy sits at the very core of it in terms of biology and then is expressed in other um, facets of life, namely through achievement, whether in some form or another. And, um, you know, someone like Satoshi Nakamoto mm. will probably live on forevermore as mm. the father um, of Bitcoin. And that brings me just to the quote, Brother Bear, which reads, if you don't believe... I will, I will. <laughs> if you don't believe it or don't get it, I don't have the time to try to convince you. Sorry. <laughs> I love that you put sorry in at the end there. <laughs> but it is, it's part of the quote. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the quote. It's part of the quote. <laughs> but, which I love. He obviously had a sense of humour. He had a sense of humour and the beauty of that quote is that he's not a huckster, right? He's not trying to make you buy into a get-rich-quick scheme. He's... You know, it's obviously not a pyramid scheme. It's obviously not, he's not going to be making money off anybody else. Um, mm. That's, uh, you know, he's talking more philosophically about the idea of Bitcoin. If you don't understand it or care for it, then he's not going to invest any time helping you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> and and I, I think it always speaks to the fact it doesn't need your approval. It's going to happen regardless. So, mm. Um, mm. you know, part, don't participate, participate we don't really care it, mm. it will it will kind of <clears throat> govern all value going forward but if you want to be part of that world join us if not we don't that's also great <laughs> also great yeah also great <laughs> it's quite funny when people have that kind of apathetic um finish to their ideas like oh if you if you don't want to join this then great too <laughs> yeah and, and maybe it's the ultimate you know, sort of expression and marker of success or belief in the success of your idea mm. um, you know I, I don't know whoever satoshi is he she or they but i don't know whether they ever truly envisioned the idea spreading as much as it has mm. i mean they'd have to have some kind of genius gene to have perhaps forecasted that it would have taken hold this much um or i don't know maybe they were just such a futurist such an accurate futurist that they did know yeah what, what do you think well i haven't read the paper from cover to cover i've seen extracts from it and pages but it's something i'm meaning to do because i probably should really should try and understand it on a more technical level as well mm -hmm. um because there's more technical nuggets and uh not a, not knowledge nuggets to be found apart from what we discussed in our first podcast mm. But yes, I think um, that it was probably difficult for them to see the level of success and probably the time scale in which that's happened. It's been a very compressed time scale. It's only been 12 years and it's always it's already a trillion dollar network. And we talked about it being the fastest trillion dollar network as in the network the quick to which the, the, the road to a trillion dollars in market capitalization was the quickest, the second being Google. And I yes. think there's only a handful of them. So there's only five trillion dollar networks out there another one being Microsoft, but by far the quickest to reach a trillion has been Bitcoin. Mm. So um, I think whoever Satoshi is would probably be quite proud of um, what it's become already, let alone what it will be in the future. I think whoever Satoshi is, he, she or they would have at least predicted that 
you know, the, the the standard U.S. dollar and fiat currency system was was running its course, um, and will eventually um, be unsustainable, and some other system will need to take its place. Right, um, you know, because I, as we said, you know, we discussed every fiat currency system ever has always inflated itself out of existence. Mm. Yeah, inflated out of its its existence or use lost value over time. Um, through through changing markets, extrin- extrinsic factors, and things like that. Yeah. Um, Brother Bear, so let's let's talk about how Bitcoin and stores of wealth and value actually um, feed into the meaning of life. Because you know everybody wants to be wealthy in some way or another. Everyone wants to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think everybody sets out to be rich uh, or richer than everyone else. You know, I don't. Don't think too many people go out of their way to think, you know, to to try and achieve um, billionaireship. But how would you say that the Bitcoin revolution feeds into the meaning of life? Hmm. It's a great question, brother Bear. I suppose one of the great struggles of man over the centuries and millennia has always been the preservation of wealth over longer periods of time. Now that period of time being um, your lifetime, personally, in the immediate sense, and then you know, preserving a level of wealth, future generations, your biological legacy, your offspring. So Mm. I think there's that. And I think Bitcoin is by far and away the best way to do that at the minute. It's like I said, digital gold. And I believe it's almost taken a special place within the digital ecosystem and the almost the tokenomics of the future as this um, store of value. That's why we call it digital gold, because it's a finite supply and all all the other attributes it has, which make it so similar to gold yet and bet uh, yet a better version into in terms of the ability to divide to exchange to um being non-fungible mm-hmm. and therefore therefore it cannot be um screwed with or um or um hacked or sort of miscommunicated everyone knows who's got what bitcoin and which wallets it lies so i, I think for all of those reasons and many more it's the best form of preserving wealth over time, mm. and I mm. think that's a big me a big part of life in terms of ensuring, I suppose, a somewhat stable and hopefully increasing quality of life for you and then your offspring. Mm. I think the key word there is stable, um, because it's one of those assets that. Well, okay, this is going to sound strange because it's incredibly volatile, but. Um, in terms of the long-term sustainability, I would argue that that Bitcoin has less volatility and, and more control in the public hands um, because of its protection from central banking. Um, and yeah, that stability. You what you'd want to hope to hopefully bring that down to to you know the your biological legacy, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, stability is not something you'd associate with the sort of the world price swings that have been associated with bitcoin but no what we've got to understand as well is that bitcoin is still a relatively young asset it's only 12 years old it's a baby in the grand scheme of things and so in this phase that we're still in which i'd describe as sort of price discovery we haven't really sort of it's not a mature market and so as we're filling this container of market cap and it's being fully adopted globally then i think we're still going to see wild price swings but i think what's what a lot of people describe as crashing upwards 
So although we see massive price swings of minus 20%, maybe over two, two, three days, it's going to over time increase. And so if you look at the average over the last 12 years, on average, year on year, if you just divide the increase over the last 12 years, on average, it's been well over 200% per year, every year. Hmm. There's some incredible swings in uh, value there. Yes, indeed. Yeah. But like I said, um, the, the trend, the over overlying overriding trend is up and at a rate of 200% a year which is phenomenal mm. absolutely astronomical yeah well um, it's interesting I talk more and more about this with um, colleagues and, and friends around me and there's still so much skepticism brother bear and oh that's so good I'm so happy <laughs> I really am brother bear because that means we're early and you know that's that's that, that's the point at which there's most opportunity because it means we're still in the early innings, which is great. Yes, yeah, the early innings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think there is. I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm sure that will dissipate as more institutional investors get involved. But yeah, um, I think you know people are going to find it really hard to to relinquish fiat currency. Um, that's yeah, it's not going to happen um, overnight. <laughs> no, people are not going to find it easy to relinquish fiat currency. No one more so than. Um, the state and central banks mm. because but central banks have a monopoly on the native currency on fiat on their native fiat currency and relinquishing that is not something they're going to do without going down a fight they're not going to give that up or go down with fiat currency without a strong fight and that is probably the f biggest risk to the bitcoin price in the short term and is almost an inevitable hit on the Bitcoin price in the short term in terms of banks coming down hard on Bitcoin. Like we said, it's pretty unbannable because it, does, it doesn't pertain or sit within any given constituency, country, nation, nothing. It doesn't know borders. So mm. in that respect, it's unbannable. But it will still inevitably scare people off Bitcoin and get them selling Bitcoin and impact the price. But in the long term, I'm not sure it matters what central banks try and do. I think Bitcoin is somewhat inevitable. Um, now, whether it's inevitable as a means of exchange, probably not. Or, you know, maybe one day when we increase the block size, then it's more efficient and can process that many more transactions. For now, and I think for the future, it's good enough as a store of value and pretty inefficient in terms of transactions. So you can't transact mm. that often or that frequently as you'd like with cash. And it's more of a gold which you tend to buy and hold. Yes. Store of wealth. Um, buy and hold, boys. Buy and hold. Buy and hold. Uh, do, do you see the. The transaction, um, like popularity coming in over the over the next few years, or do you think that's going to be a much longer marathon? I think it's um, something for the longer, longer term. So we're talking decades mm. in terms of time span, rather opposed to the, the coming years and months. Um, I think for now, it's got a lot of work to do still as a store of value in terms of adoption so let's get let's keep cranking away at that it's done a very good job of that so far yeah. i think it's going to be a while before we see it as an efficient efficient means of exchange in terms of buying your coffee no mm -hmm. one's going to be buying coffee because the transaction fee probably exceeds well in by many many times more than the cost of the coffee so yeah. the exchange so it doesn't make any sense in that sense um so I, I think eventually it might get there and it's conceivable that it will become a cash once they increase the amount of transactions permissible per block. Um, and yeah, so it's conceivable that we'll get there 
in the not too distant future i'm talking decades but yeah it's possible possible in our lifetime yeah but then there's you know other other blockchains other uh, cryptocurrencies that are just trying to do that they're just trying to become the cash of the world um ethereum isn't one of them ethereum's kind of trying to be more the network than anything else ethereum's trying to be almost the internet of cryptocurrency yeah so if we see bitcoin as uh, digital gold you can look at ethereum as digital electricity or digital oil it's basically what runs the network mm. and mm. its token its native token ether is what's burnt essentially to run the network or consumed and burnt to, to run the network none have come close though to the um the use of bitcoin and the you know the popularity of it i suppose yeah i mean that they're all fundamentally looking well given the amount of them there's obviously a good degree of overlap in terms of use case or intended use case mm. um but the ones i i really understand are bitcoin i'm i'm getting my head around ether it's it's slightly more complex so if you thought bitcoin was hard just wait till you and try and get your head around ether <laughs> uh, and that's, that's different that's to diff ethereum right no so e ether is the native token of the ethereum blockchain okay so it's it's, it's one and the same one and the same uh, it's it, it it's the token that the Ethereum blockchain uses. It's just Ether, um, but it's an interesting one. And what's interesting about Ether is, yes, it, you can imagine it almost as the internet, the literal mm. internet, but the internet of the a decentralized internet, if you like, on which on top of which, or tokens other tokens many many thousands of tokens utilize that network that decentralized network that is ethereum to build their own tokens they build their own tokens on top of that network like websites built in the internet or mm. websites and applications utilize the internet so but by buying an ether you're not so much buying a website on an internet i'm trying to give analogies here to what mm -hmm. we know and know and understand it, it's it's you're buying a piece of the internet if you can try and get your head around that and that, right. that's huge. So it's not buying a, a share of Amazon stock as a website. It's actually buying a piece of the internet. Like digital real estate, kind of. A digital real estate of yeah. the internet network. And you can become a participant in that network by having a threshold level or a number of Ether, which permits you to essentially be a validator in that network as to whether a transaction is um, true or not. And I believe if you own 32 Ether or more, you're able to essentially get interest on um, by staking your bit your ether so by by locking it into the network and not taking it out by committing to not take it out for a year or two you um, get compensated via interest but it's a very complex mm. thing and I, I can go into that another time but i think for the meaning of life uh, bitcoin is <laughs> an interesting form of wealth probably a very smart well way of wealth preservation for the coming decades and centuries mm, mm. and i think yep. your great-grandchildren will think you're very you know will be very grateful for you for you <laughs> getting some <laughs> yeah if um if they can look back and see oh did did grandpa did, did great great grandpa you know make make the right financial decision um when the fiat currency was dying <laughs> on its ass then, <laughs> then yes. um, i suppose mm -hmm. that That'll be seen in a very positive light, but yeah, I suppose I suppose the, the come back to the meaning of life question, and and again, this is with the meaning of life. I feel like the question is actually usually more interesting than the answer. Um, it's one of those things that you you ponder and postulate on, um, but but on a financial sense, um, and in terms of having control over your own 
wealth and ultimately your own future. Um, Bitcoin, I think, feeds into that quite quite nicely as we're seeing steady decline of of incomes and steady decline in in you know normal folks being able to mm. live comfortably. Yeah, absolutely. And do you um, have a sort of a different def definition or your kind of your own personal feelings of what your meaning is in life mm. or is it something kind of your you look towards or are refining over time how do you see it i think it's something i've got you know dozens of different <laughs> different answers to depending on the day and depending on my mood <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> it's it's so easy to 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 try and pigeonhole and I would try to do that to sound smart or, or more certain of my future but ultimately it, it depends on the mood I'm in and and depends on the the year as well and that's why I think Alan Watts's definition is so beautifully self-contained um, you know just the meaning of life is to just be alive I think that's um that's a very simple way of putting it it doesn't require too much overthinking um, exhaustion and uh, you know there's less margin for error there um, I think just being kind to others as well is another big part of that and that's, that's such a again such another trite hmm. point but I think it should be central to to understanding your personal meaning of life yeah I think it's such a simple message right because like we said people can search long and hard for the meaning and, and yet it, it might be staring them in, in the face in front of them so mm. and i think so much of that is true there's so much beauty in the world like you said someone can spend a lifetime studying a blade of grass and not be done by the end of their life but there's so much complexity and intrigue and i, and I think if you have an in an intrigued mind a, a mind that sort of has an insatiable quench with knowledge and learning then you know there's kind of challenges that just pop up in front of you that keep mm. you so engaged. Maybe the meaning of life is somewhat answered just through the fact that you're so engaged and with the world and interfacing correctly with the world that it's not mm. really something that's looked at in horror, but more just um, maybe lived. Yep. There's so much complexity and so many variables to any outcome. Um, one one example, one of my close friends, he wanted to be a firefighter and that almost became his life's meaning and life's goal. Mm. Um, and he spent years and years trying to get into the academy and then he finally did get into the academy and he went through all the, the hoops, jumped through all those hoops to finally become a, a fully-fledged firefighter. And then he realized that he didn't enjoy the work that much <laughs> and and he didn't really get on with his colleagues very well and he you know he started to have identity issues and again that's those are all the variables um that we don't even consider um and sometimes that's why you just have to really enjoy the moment as best you can as uh you know as kind of cliched as that sounds and it is a cliche um yeah you may get to that goal whether it's to be a, you know investment banker or, or great basketball player or whoever you want to be and realize that actually none of those things really did make you happy it was the relationships yeah, that did. i think it's so yeah exactly i think it's the experiences on the way that will kind of morph the life and where life is found as opposed to the destination and you know cheesy as that sounds it's 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 the journey not the destination i think that's very often true you even hear about musicians you know wanting to be this or that and then hitting that everest arriving and only being disappointed mm. um you know and almost hitting a deep dark depression in 
time in which you'd imagine they'd be sort of you know in some state of euphoria it's almost by achieving their everest they've um, they've almost met their hero and been disappointed mm-hmm. um and yet the true joy unexpectedly and inadvertently has actually been on the path to getting there as opposed to getting there yes yeah and i think that's where a lot of philosophical arguments come back to suffering as essential to the meaning of life and this is actually um uh, there's actually some conservative political arguments in here as well um that you know to have a fulfilling life to have a life that is in the end happy and even the moment happy um you shouldn't pursue a life that's purely easy at all times you mm. should be trying to break a mental and physical sweat every single day um you know it should be stressful um and of course that you know that that begs a question is is suffering in some form necessary for a happy life yes absolutely i think in a, in a in a large sense and in a big way suffering is almost necessary to feel pleasure in the end it's almost the yin and the yang, right? You've got to fear the yang to fear the, feel the yin and all that. Mm-hmm. So every an- antithesis needs needs uh, needs itself to exist. Yes, yeah. The yin yin yang philosophy is um is a great great way of encapsulating that. Um, yeah, I think I think that a, a bit of suffering, even if it's financial, um, m- makes things better in the long run, as long as you're able to pull yourself out of that. Um, self-determination as well and this this comes back to bitcoin too i think with with the way that the the monetary system and even the political system has been developing over the past two decades people have felt a void where self-determination should lie and some of these new hacks these new technologies i think have been absolutely fantastic in restoring some of that self-determination for some of the forgotten people in society yeah yeah, fully agree. I mean, Bit- Bitcoin itself is, you know, that there's it started off with a lot of, um, I suppose, outcasts and <laughs> unusual people getting involved in it, um, and I suppose they're the ones laughing the most now. Yes, no, it's very true. It's often the contrarians that are the um, torchbearers, at least at the beginning. The, the internet, um, you know, that uh, there's an infinite number of examples you can point to mm. where it's often the crazies that <laughs> um that well that's what steve jobs called them right it's, it's you know here's to the crazies here's to the the mad ones the yeah. torchbearers of any revolutionary idea you know um i think einstein said that um if an idea is not at first absurd then there's no hope for it <laughs> and I think there's that's some, an, some like deep truth to that. Like, yeah. some huge. Yeah, truth well, to I that. think there's yeah. a deep truth to that because there's like you, you hear, you hear. I was listening to this other podcast about this uh, angel investor and many others who, it's almost like they almost guide themselves according to the craziest idea. Um, you know, something like Robin Hood. You know, people, millennials, and millennials, no commissions app for trading. Um, millennials who have been, you know, through a hard recession from 2008 2009 disenfranchised with the stock market making having huge losses and not experiencing anything good yet and people you know kids you know that stereotype living with their parents living in the basement not having much disposable income how the hell are you going to make money off them as traders 
Mm. Um, and yet if you introduce something that's zero commission and democratize finance and make the stock market as accessible as Robinhood has, funnily enough, it actually works very well. Mm. There was a huge gap in the market. There was. Huge demand for that. that. But it wasn't obvious that there was. Like it almost took a madman to do that because yes it's it's obvious there was a gap in the market you know with with the benefit of hindsight but back in the day when i think it was created back in 2016 17 it wasn't so obvious at all no but i th- i think it usually is you know the the two the, the sort of two tropes you see with very successful entrepreneurs um one is a brilliant ability to forecast um and see where a demand will be in say five or 10 years down the road, you know, we saw this with something like Uber or Airbnb. Um, But then the other aspect is that absurdism and that ability to actually disconnect from reality and the day-to-day drudgery. Um, Because those individuals that just stick to that nine to five drudgery and think very little out of that box, they seldom make the millions and they seldom come up with the new crazy ideas, right? You need a madman or a mad woman to <laughs> create this <laughs> create this this kind of positive outcome. Yeah, you almost need someone who can rip themselves from the status quo um and really just cut that umbilical cord and just start thinking completely out of the box. That's why we call it out of the box, right? Because they've managed to pop out of the box and mm. just think about the realms um as they are as opposed to how they've been presented through a lens. Yes. So it's hard. It's very hard um, because everything's presented to you through a lens of one sort or another. And it's hard sort of to divorce you from all of that and look at things from first principles as mm. they are. Um, but something I just wanted to touch on, you know, I knew we were talking sort of about um, you don't have a low without a high. You don't have sadness without happiness. Yeah. There's... Um, a song by the um, renowned uh, DJ Kygo titled Let Her Go. I just wanted to read you a few lines from that because I remember listening to that and, you know, there's certain lyrics you sometimes, they just gloss over, they sound good and then I sort of, you start listening to them and they have some deep meaning. So yeah, I'll just read you a few lines here. Um, well, you only need light when it's burning low. Only miss the sun when it starts to snow. Only know you love her when you let her go. Only know you've been high when you're feeling low. Only hate the road when you're missing home. Only know the your love when you let her go. That's actually got quite some some quite deep meaning there. Um, mm. I haven't heard the song itself, but I think I think that talks very much to the yin and the yang and the you know the enjoyment of the low when you're in the high or the, you know you know what I'm saying like kind of the mm. the the extremes there I, I suppose you miss beautiful weather when it's cold and you know when it's beautiful weather you don't really think about the cold too much but i suppose you know there's some some good meaning behind that and wh- who is that kygo did you say brother bear yes kygo it's um something i've called i i believe it's it's sort of um, like edm house music but it's sort mm. of more specifically something i like to term tropical house so it's um it's quite good. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's just um, obviously reading it out, you can actually pick out the um, meaning in the words. Hmm. Yeah, and and again, this comes back to kind of the rags to riches scenario, right? Like mm. if you if you've experienced 
riches all your life you you never really feel the true happiness of someone who started off you know as a homeless person or a you know at least someone very poor um who, who was able to excel to become very well off even if it if it wasn't to a millionaire status there's a huge amount of happiness there yeah maybe it is a yin and yang kind of put correcting because i think a, a yin and yang was all, are almost there to keep each other in check right mm. so if the yin is to bring up the businessman from a very poor impoverished background to billi- to a billionaire status and then his son is almost there to rebalance that and almost destroy it and burn it back mm. it's almost like he's the corrector he's going to do everything to destroy that wealth and be a bad custodian of that wealth well it's that famous saying um you know show me a great man who is the son of a great man yes that's so true yeah the, 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 there are exceptions to that but yeah by of course it's, the, the, by by as a rule of thumb you're right it's very true definitely there would be exceptions i'm sure it's just you know i, th- I think that the um the trailblazer um will have less likely to have some certain mental health issues or you know self i suppose self-conscious issues Perhaps the the receiver of of the wealth just by being born will have. Um, it's often the most oppressed ones are the the ones that have just been given everything in in any outcome in society, whether it's by parents or by the government. You know these these kind of situations never lead to often don't lead to very very happy lives. Um, which is funny that just I think that opens up the door to like to to so many different discussions of the human condition, brother bear. Mm. I think being gifted wealth like that is is dangerous um, because it opens the door and starts to entertain ideas of anarchy. If you're given everything on a silver platter, then you kind of don't have the necessary struggle to shape yourself. Mm. And so not not having that resistance, although on paper sounds great, is actually one of the most destructive things you can do to someone. Mm. Mm. Not giving them resistance to... Um, push against and create their own persona yes it's, it's that resistance isn't it it's that struggle um i think resistance and struggle is necessary to creating anything resembling personality and perseverance and mm. um yeah what, what's that what's that what's that word tenacity tenacity it's it's a character building exercise to have some suffering and this this is one thing that always struck me in in the u.s because of the on at least on the surface level you know the the amount of character and happiness in in people's daily interactions and i was always scratching my head and and confused that people had that much character and and happiness um when you know they didn't have health (laughs) care given to them or they had to cover their own health care um Though this isn't a rule of thumb, and it wouldn't be fair for me to say this is for everyone, but I think there's certainly happiness that has come out of that struggle for some people in in the states and, and probably other countries. Yeah, there's um, there's certainly some negatives that come out to just a baseline amount of uh, happiness and things give not happiness, but a baseline um, amount of gifted wealth. Yes, absolutely, and I think that's. Um, 
it should what should be given by the state like we've talked about in the past is i think we're sort of broadly aligned with this that um the state should only provide the very bare minimums and the bare necessities of life right one of those being healthcare, i believe and then that at least alleviates that one burden of health um because you know to be healthy is everything um without yeah. that you kind of not able to build anything at all of your own life so I think that's almost a baseline thing and then after that there's um, obviously education as well um, would be nice mm. education good and, and brother Bert, tell me about some of your observations when you were in Japan again because you you noticed you know there was such a different mentality <clears throat> and approach to life that, that you'd seen in the West and Although these things are incredibly difficult to gauge, um, were some of your impressions that it was a happier place, a sadder place, or too tough to call? Um, I, I think the place wasn't... Um, it wasn't clearly one thing or the other, because I think the Japanese people are often quite insular and maybe not don't wear their heart on their sleeve as much. Mm. So emotions are happy and sad are sometimes repressed although i cer certainly saw m maybe the happiness being very qu quite a bit more obvious than i would expect than i was kind of all led to believe beforehand hmm. so th they are happy people from my perspective ultimately um it it's just that maybe they don't show it as often or clearly as, as we might you know, perceive someone hmm. super extroverted as a culture such as the united states or canada hmm. um and so, yeah, I mean, it was an amazing place in, in the sense that the attention to detail impressed me. And it's it's almost an ingrained um, psyche, an ingrained culture of just attention to detail and a pride in your own work, a pride in your own work, a, proud in your, a pride in your environment, whether that's urban or um, your domestic environment, but just being proud yeah. and very meticulous and an attention to detail and it's it's just everything so clean mm. there is such a level of attention to detail it's like a perfect playmobile universe everything's just so perfectly ticking over mm. and maintained and it's just, it's just so impressive i don't know how they're not the richest country in the world in some ways <laughs> i think discipline yeah that's a good a good point i mean i think discipline is is probably such a big part of that i know you mentioned there was um, a very noticeable degree of discipline amongst the population there when it came to work and and life even. And I, I do believe in terms of human happiness and, you know, finding your own personal meaning of life. I, th I think discipline really helps people on the way to to finding peace. As weird yeah. as that sound, um, because it, it, push, it pushes you to do things you don't want to do. It pushes you to work out or, you know, basically pushes you into areas that you're not that comfortable in but i do believe it holds a, a key to peace yeah it was almost a sense that that the, the, there was a pleasure and prize to order in japan mm. and, and i wonder you know if they are faced with chaos whether that's a physical or a mental challenge that's somewhat chaotic how good they are at turning that into order i don't know um, or, or, or are they actually not very good at doing that and that's why they try and um, institute order wherever they can 
Mm. And so when chaos does can't rear its head inevitably sooner or later, they um, struggle where, where there's ambiguity. So they like rules. They like black mm. and white. But where there's a grey area, maybe it, that's not turned into something productive quickly enough. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm, I'm sure there's many deep reasons, but it's it's a very, very fascinating culture. Um, mm. And th- I think not necessarily maybe the most inventive because or at, le- at least not the most inventive in more recent decades in mm. terms of you know all of the big technology firms have come out of the united states and i think that's maybe because the J- japan ha- is such an orderly way of thinking and maybe that's why you see so much great engineering come out of japan you know sony panasonic um toyota honda or mm. all of these things are extremely ordered engineering itself is a very orderly um, first principles based um, yeah. discipline and then something kind of blue sky thinking required for something like Airbnb or Facebook or Uber is um, just not part of their culture as much as mechanics and logic are yes a sort of a, a well regimented um, dedication to, to rules and principles that's where right. their strengths lie um, right but blue sky thinking innovation is mm. and, and sort of abstract conceptualization it doesn't come naturally to them maybe yeah but this is in broad brush strokes you say that i'll caveat all of this with that yes of course because we, we're talking quite general terms here um but but that's definitely a good observation um i think the you know the americans they revel in a level of ambiguity that opens the door for blue sky thinking um, yeah, and, and creating uh, what what you would see as absurdist outcomes, and mm. turning that into an amazing product or an amazing innovation. Um, de- definitely, though, on on the Japanese side, in addition to the discipline nature, um, they do seem to have such a communitarian level of discipline. Um, one example that really resonated with me, brother Bear, was um, after the the Fukushima disaster. Mm. Um, and there was um, the scores and scores of there were scores of eighty year olds um, helping out near the blast zone mm-hmm. um, because they had the attitude of well it doesn't matter if I get cancer in you know ten twenty years I'll be you know ninety a hundred probably not even alive by then um, I'm thinking more of those younger than me and I I just can't imagine that kind of scenario happening in the West where the elderly go out to to help in a disaster like that and have that kind of I don't know beyond beyond individualistic way of thinking. Well, you know that's an incredible example, right? I didn't know that was the case actually. Where did you hear about that? That's that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, I actually heard it from an engineer I work with who who'd done some work in Japan huh. um, and was actually present at the time of the disaster um, in um, in Japan, and and he said, you know. He thought oh, this would never happen in Canada or the U.S. You know, mm. uh, you know, you protect the old, the old stay in. Um, mm. You know, but nope, the the old rule going out volunteering because they knew if it, if it went south and they got cancer in ten, twenty years, you know, that that wouldn't really matter to them. So it's kind of, I suppose it's, or it's not that it wouldn't matter, but they were they were putting the the lower generations first. Um, sort of an extension of the seven tree theory um so 
Oh, these oh, are these, amazing. These are yeah, these amazing examples of of how different things are there and how people see happiness and treat human life. Yeah, I mean that that's an amazing um, display of altruism, right? Mm. I mean, I've never like you said that's the ultimate sacrifice because you're putting your health on the line. Um, and I imagine the reason is, like you say, is for the sake of future generations, mm. uh, which is an amazing long-term way of thinking. And I just wish more people thought that way in the day-to-day, not necessarily in the context of a disaster, but to think a few generations ahead and not just about the span of your own lifetime, which is actually pretty short-sighted if you really think about it. And we talked about you know cosmic timescales laughing at our lifespans. Mm. Um you know, like I said, we're just a spark, we're just a blip. So we we maybe do need to start thinking more on the time scale of millennia as opposed to lifetime because that will lead to a sustainable world. And, you know, that imperative is <clears throat> has never been more true than now, particularly when we're starting to face, mm. you know, climate crises and these temperature increases are beginning to actually manifest in front of our very eyes. Yes. Absolutely, and and I know you've been you've been reminding me a lot, Andre. You know that Elon Musk and Tesla, and well, all of his um, adventures are very much mission driven over profit driven. Um, yeah, and that's you know, that is quite evident. So I th- I think that's that's just a prime example of someone in our time that's you know at least looking beyond their own generation. Um, and again, okay, maybe there's selfishness there with leaving a legacy. I'm sure there is. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's long-term thinking um, that's going to create a happier and peaceful human world. Yeah, exactly. I think Elon Musk is a great example of that um, because he's looking to extend the consciousness and uh, understanding of the universe, the human consciousness, in terms of what we conceive as the boundaries of our own being um, and also our capabilities. So Tesla, you know, he said... And I do believe it when he says this that you know he's he's not in it for the money at all. It's more just increasing or accelerating the advent of electric ve- electric vehicles as the global norm. And I think he's done a great job in doing that already. And then mm. there's the other bit of extending the consciousness and reach of humanity beyond just Earth to Mars mm. and other planets. Mm. Um, you know, when we start conceiving of ourselves as more as as more than mere earthlings, and sort of as a species um, over multiple planets and then amongst the stars, I think that's a very inspiring future and a, sort of a future worth getting up for. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, an outcome that is so much farther beyond just our own life lifespan, um, and the okay the spacex missions you know these are these are very bold aspirations but we need to be bold and we need to be absurdist to progress forward i think that the nasa and the space race you know unfortunately the incentives were were not great in in the in why we were doing that but you know at least we saw within the span of a decade with with technology um you look back now we we achieved getting to the moon I, I don't know. I th- I think that a lot of coming back to again the the meaning of life excelling beyond ourselves as well, pulling all our weight together, um, and all of our acumen and and 
prowess as as humans um in a as a collective as kind of a hive mind almost and and driving technological change through that yeah i think you're going to see sort of exponential development and growth in technology <laughs> through the advent of something mm. that really integrates us as a species into us something you just described as a hive mind where where we're all thinking as one um mm. and what that means is you bring what would have been available to us in on a linear time scale 200 years from now we can bring that into being to happening within 10 20 years from now because mm. we're all thinking as one and pooling our resources together and i think you know to a large extent the reason we've seen the technological sort of the mind-boggling technological acceleration over the last hundred years has been the advent of telecommunications and ever more efficient telecommunications to the point of where we can just hit a button and I'm talking to you in Canada and you can hear me instantly with little to no delay. Mm. You know, that is a non-trivial innovation that's really accelerated innovations, period. Mm. And then the internet probably being the very latest instantiation of that, which we're utilizing to talk now. Um, and then, you know, it just means that scientific papers of one sort or another, whether that's speaking to a particular technology or an idea, um, is more freely available and more quickly freely available to iterate amongst scientists and the community and the world at large. Um, just to, 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 I'm, I'm just taking papers as an example here of, of information, the exchange of information, but it could be many mediums, right? Mm. But they're mm. all ultimately relying on the internet for a fast... Um, back and forth a ping-ponging mm. of ideas and therefore arriving at ideas that no one person could ever arrive at but sort of through the combination and iteration between multiple parties you kind of arrive at supreme innovations mm. it's an incredibly layered uh, amount of innovation that's led us to this point um mm. through different people and businesses and organizations um the internet is a brilliant um contemporary example because it's been the foundation, it's been the, the, the scaffolding for so many other innovations. You know, um, what became like a, a small peer-to-peer rental market blew up into Airbnb. Yeah. You know, what, what became a, um, you know, a, a small network for, um, I don't know if it was at Yale or Harvard, for a small mm. elite group there blew up into Facebook. You know, these, these innovations we've seen in our lifetime um, they all rely on that foundation of the internet and you know soon we're going to be seeing the currency to follow that yeah and i suppose to some extent you could argue these latest technologies like airbnb facebook are increasingly maybe not they're not decentralized because they still have central nodes in terms of the governance of those platforms and operations of those platforms and updates on those platforms but there is a sense of the nodes apart from the central node are pretty global and they don't really care about national borders as much you know look at airbnb look at uber it's not particularly national no um whereas something like hard engineering as a business actually does involve a factory and it's kind of not as um readily decentralized as something like a network an internet network and that that's what the internet's enabled right and so this is what we were saying around it's strange that we don't already have a currency that maybe is as or more decentralized than these internet companies. Mm, mm. The the key lies with the software, right? It, that's 
that's the most footloose uh, or the software innovation and companies has kind of um, put, put national borders and boundaries into shame and mm. <laughs> made mm. them appear kind of outdated. And then uh, what comes with that is uh, national currencies. Yes. You know, whether or not they were grossly overinflated. Mm. Um, you know, I think digital currency would have taken off anyway um, because of because of an ease of, of transaction. Um, right overcoming national boundaries and things like that so again these are these are more innovations that give people more options and outcomes to enjoy the full spectrum of life yeah absolutely and you know it's all it's all driven and powered by the internet to more or lesser extent and what elon's doing a lesser known project is the starlink project which is essentially the envisioning of a global internet wherever you are so it's not like you're tied to um a provider and the the fiber optics to your house it's um literally beamed from a satellite a constellation of satellites that surround the earth is almost a shell a sphere of a swarm of satellites that will provide this internet and and, and at a very high speed anywhere on the planet ultimately mm. and so when you combine that sort of technology with something like a, a Neuralink, where we're all talking to each other subconsciously um, maybe not subconsciously, but consciously we'd like very better. Hopefully, hopefully uh, consciously. Yeah, I don't want it, my all of my ideas being uh, you know freely available and open source. But it's very interesting what you, what what sort of the marriage of those two technologies could yield, right? Something like mm -hmm. a global internet, we're all connected to it in our minds. I mean, just imagine the pace at which you could develop personally as well. Mm. Um, not to speak of you know the collective innovations we could come up with once mm. we're all connected in, in, in more more truly right because at the minute we we're 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 mediating through hardware that's not really integrated uh, in our bodies in any way so, so we're the, still atomized the, in a sense we're, exactly and when, when that integration does happen I think it's only a matter of time before it does we don't necessarily think it needs to be dystopian actually no I mean the the mind does dart to, to dystopian outcomes, um, minority report kind of, you know, mm. outcomes of control and surveillance. Um, the, the issue is it could be misused, right? There's nothing intrinsically good or bad about technological advancement. It's, it's how it's used, right, by humans. And um, I think in some aspects we've seen a bit of a, a decline in um, human social skills through social media. Um, in, in sort of the day to day and, and the, you know, I think that's sadly driven away from, you know, living life just as life is um, and trying to observe it, but through it, through a secondary, secondary eye really. But on the other hand, um, all these evolutions drive technological advancement through idea sharing. As you said earlier, you know, what could only be achievable in a few hundred years suddenly gets fast tracked to five or six years because of that collective understanding and that collective access to information. So it does not have to be dystopian at all, right? It's it's how how conscious are we as humans for each other and our own well-being um, when the technology arrives at our doorstep. That's what's going to be the determining factor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and all the censorship that goes with it to make sure, you know, because if I have untapped, I mean, if I permit you to sort of have untapped access to my thoughts on a particular topic then great because what it, that means is i'm able to 
understand a very complex idea that you've perfectly encapsulated and articulated in your mind but maybe for whatever reason aren't able to express in words but mm-hmm. you are almost telepathically through the um hardware um integrated in your brain you're almost able just to tell me in a, in a microsecond what what you mean and i get it um and so i think that manner of telepathy enabled by integrated hardware will be possible in the mm. future and i think it sort of will accelerate uh, innovations inevitably yeah mm. yeah because it will ideally remove context and certain personal barriers and biases if you're yeah. able to telepathically convey a concept that makes perfect sense to me in my interpretation through the hardware um that i have um I, th- I think that that's that's going to be able to I suppose transport ideas removing the human bias which let's face it is been the biggest you know barrier to development since the year dot yeah so i wonder leo whether we're at the, in the kind of the dark ages of social media right um and in the sense that we've got our social media today and now is inorganic so it doesn't really it's not very human at all because it's fundamentally disconnected from our our biology but when it mm. does get integrated into us it's not so much screens and pictures it's 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 interaction of a more organic nature um that's sort of cross pollinated between people and their networks so it's yeah. it's 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 not a screen and it's not um using almost atomized technology that sits outside of the body but it's almost it's it becomes more personable so i wonder whether we're just going through a teething problem at the minute as to how the like social media materializes i think that's an astute observation because were we really in our current state ever ready for social media um mm. to the point at which it's blown up now i mean you look at how it manifests through through apps like tiktok um instagram um and kind of the level of um, short attention spans that are required to to enjoy those applications mm. um you know maybe it, we truly are in a dark age and actually this is this is kind of the the kind of uncertain transitionary period into it being utilized to its full strength and to actually deliver human happiness i would argue right now social media in general doesn't deliver too much happiness to the people i know that use it most um I'm sure there's some happiness delivered and, you know, who am I to say that it, it it's completely bad? I don't think it is completely bad, but I would say the teething period or the growing pain period is, is a perfect way to encapsulate it. Mm. Yeah. The minute in a, in a lot of ways, it it's, it's too maybe open in some ways. In some ways it's quite unsocial on social media, but I think a true social media would be something which requires, um, maybe presence of mind Hmm. and i mean that in almost a literal sense um so the presence of mind from through through a hardware that is literally connected to your mind um but yeah i don't know how the the form in which that 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 would take Would, would you need to be would you be able to share it with the minds of a number of people and it almost arrives with pre-configured filters with the people you want to or not i don't know it, it could almost just breed a more or, or could it just be the power of thought that sends 
something to them. Yeah, would it just be, would it be kind of instantaneous? You were able to switch it on and all of your thoughts are kind of rendered? Or, I'm just trying to envision how it's it would so look abstract, actually. isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, so it's, abstract. it's incredibly abstract. Um. <laughs> like, could, 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 could I just think, you know, about you and Sensei, so almost in my mind without saying the words? You can obviously say things in your brain. You know mm. what I mean by that, don't you? You just like yeah. say almost. It's like you're reading, right? Like you're reading, yeah. You you can hear it. Someone's like your voice or someone's voice is saying it in your brain. Yeah, and sending that as a voice note, for example, is a very simplest example. Yeah, like instead of texting you on, you know, messaging you on WhatsApp or something like that, could mm. I, yeah, could I think of your name, activate it, and then send the exact thought and all the feelings attached to that thought? Um, yeah, the feelings are another big one, right? Because then mm. that that would be cool. Um, and almost make it less, even less procedural than name, their message is this. Like it's kind of, it yes. just all comes as a bundle. And I was like, oh, I just got a message from Leo and I, I don't even need to check my messages. I just feel the message. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. And then, you, you know, do you have sort of personal parameters and pre-configured filters whereby you obviously don't want to be bombarded with ideas from people all, all over the shop when you're working, no. but you know what's work no that might look very different in 40 years from now i'm sure i'm sure work i mean work already looks so different now to how it did it does right yeah 30 40 years ago but that would be such a stream of consciousness um it would almost be like a psychedelic approach to communication through yeah i think that's silicon valley technology It would be though, yeah. wouldn't it? And everything would flow into each other. And I think that would be a very interesting way to communicate, at least to have that as an option. Yeah, it'd be very cool. It'd be very cool. Because it, it, you could argue it's probably the way the ideas should be. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost, um, you know, instead of hashing out an idea over two, three hours and try, finally understanding what the other person meant, being able to understand something instantaneously but i don't know ideas are so complex and so based on someone's own lived experience and context up until that point it might be hard and mm. it will be hard in fact um well, but no will, will there ever be a technology that's able to actually convey someone's feeling right because there's i know there's certain hacks where people have tried to take a crack at it for example you know those meditation headbands and things like that that they make noises when you're supposedly in deep meditation and <laughs> those those kind of technologies there are certain automated bots that can um, perceive you know your feelings through different vitals and um, mm. cer- certain um, I, don't, I don't know whether they're able to measure it, if it's as simple as just blood pressure or are we talking something more deep pheromones but uh, you know whatever it is is there going to be a technology that can capture that and share that with another human Mm. yeah I'm, I'm sure in the moment but then i struggle to understand how any technology could encapsulate lived experience at least lived experience before the device was there because the device wouldn't know about all the lived experience and thoughts and feelings that happened beforehand mm. um but like, like i said I, I think we'd almost see it as a symbiotic relationship of mutual benefit between the device and the brain in the best case, right? Whereby 
you're held by the device and you're unable you're able to now to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do and think and you wouldn't mm. be able to understand people on the same deep level that you do now with the device and i think once you maybe experience that it'll be hard to go back yeah one well it's like iphones isn't it once you get into that level of constant connectivity it's very hard to switch back um but yeah th there would be certainly dystopian like perceptions of that and a lot of resistance but once it fully reached critical mass it'd be incredibly difficult to go back um if you're able to convey your feelings to a t to someone else that would be an incredible experience that would be an incredible experience wouldn't it, it really would mm. and it and i think it would i think in its best instantiation and version reduce conflict I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest win for the human race that would come out of that. Yeah, I think because you'd understand because, why people think what they think, right? A little more exactly. So, which would mean even if you still fundamentally disagreed with them, you'd you'd be able to empathise. Yes, exactly. exactly. So the empathy would would probably, you would hope that humans wouldn't screw it up, and hopefully it would result in less war and less polarisation. <laughs> yes yes and and i think ultimately it's that kind of technology that will make you realize the absurdity of the nation state mm. oh yes absolutely absolutely the the nation state is is being belittled every day um through demand for constant free trade uh, the digital the new digital landscape digital currency but yeah absolutely that technology will even further undermine cultural barriers and national barriers make them worthless it really i think that really is the world and I, you know i what I, I very much envision the world as a planet a globe and really looking at like i said the planet from the international space station one does not see borders and borders become very silly constructs mm. from that distance and that that's probably because they are right because i think you're seeing the planet for what it is at that mm. height and um, so I think nation, the nation states world over will be repealed slowly over time. Mm. Now, I think that might be a difficult and choppy and violent process in some cases, but I, I think it might happen. The more I'm looking at the news and what ha what's happening with technology, everything yes. from cryptocurrency to um, neural networks to AI and... Um, New, new, neural net with these implantable devices and what that could yield I think the more I'm starting to think that's going to come in that timeline's going to come in as opposed to it being a thousand years from now it might be a few hundred mm. technology will act as a catalyst and I think that this is all going to come from the bottom up Andre I don't think it's going to come from the top down for the first time ever truly right yeah i I I, be I really believe that. I mean, one of the examples comes to mind is the European Union. Um, and mm. that was a very top-down structure, a very quite arguably undemocratic structure that forced this like one continent outcome on every country in Europe. And I don't think there's necessarily... I don't think the... Um, 
I think they identified the problem with the nation state when they did that. And I, th I think that it was a noble aspiration. But because it came from the top down, it was not palatable to the public in many countries. Mm. Mm. Um, and it tried to create this continental fiat currency. Again, a very top down measure that didn't necessarily deliver um, in the long term. But whereas if you look at sort of more bottom up um, progressions, you know, whether it's crypto, Neuralink, whether it's just people's day to day perceptions of, oh, this person's another nationality to me, that doesn't that shouldn't matter at all. Mm. You know, that's where you're going to see the long term um, civilization change. Mm. And I think that's a future worth aspiring for, right? What do you think? Oh, I, certainly, yeah. I think, I think it's the only way things should go, really. Mm. Mm. Um, don't don't get me wrong. Like everyone, everyone identifies with a culture, mm. and that that's got to be preserved. Um, but that shouldn't supersede global development. Yeah, um, you you exactly. can keep that. You can retain your culture protect it in your daily life mm. um but that shouldn't supersede you know glo global one world mm. as soppy as that sounds but mm. I'm, i mean in terms of trade currency the digital revolution mm. uh, i would certainly be all for all of those things i think that we stand all stand a lot more to gain from that world than we stand to lose we stand mm. to gain a lot less i think with staying as we are I think there's certain warm, fuzzy gains that will be made from keeping the nation state strong. And whether that's in yeah. people's you know, perception of their own culture not changing, and I, un I understand certain feelings behind that. Mm. Um, but overall, I think those, those gains are, are dwarfed by the gains of, of a one world theory or a one world outcome. Yeah, I think that would be extremely cool. Um, I mean, you know, global mobility is already very high. You just want to sort of look at the relative benefits of having. I think. I think gradually it will just be a token through a token of the nation state becoming ever less relevant. I think there's so many processes and governance, everything from tax through to railways, um, infrastructure. Like, how how do you start to um, denationalize all this stuff into something resembling a larger ever larger geographies right mm. yeah and i think that's yeah that's that's kind of on the granular level those those are going to be all the tricky things you know how do you get this country where people only have faith in in their own currency or or this certain industry how do, how do you kind of globalize that um yeah, but when driving across Europe, actually, you can start to envision it quite quickly, right? Because mm. it's it's not so much fine. You can we might we may keep the borders for another two thousand years, but they'll just be such a irrelevance. Well, well, no, you you made a brilliant point there. The borders will soon become like county borders, you know, which, which like they Europe have. in a way, right? Because you can drive from east to west mm. across Europe and sometimes not notice you've crossed the country. Seriously. Oh yeah, I I mean I remember driving through France, um, the Netherlands, Germany, and it, going into each of those countries um, was, respectively, it was like going into another county, you know? Yeah, and, 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 you know, maybe that's good enough for now, 
maybe it is and but I, mm. I i'm sure there's levels to this that we're not even able to fathom at this point that need to be almost repealed and globalized yeah i'm sure there's more tangible things um well that is a, a very tangible thing but in terms of currency um I, th I think in, in terms of you know how how certain industries are governed and how government gets involved in them mm. cronyism um, the dangerous thing i think throughout history has been when the nation state and the government um, or rather the na nationhood and the government are intertwined mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of where you you get kind of um more fascist ideologies and protectionism and autarky and you know all yeah. the ideas that basically are the exact opposite to what we're saying uh, yeah you can you can still have a strong sense of patriotism um but that's very much distance from the government and i think that's probably more desirable because yeah, once definitely. the government yeah and i wonder whether the, the geography of how, how we see other nations today um, or even other continents today might be a, a more apt example. We will we, be mapped onto the planetary level, right? So we will look at the people of Mars as almost we look at people from a different country today. Mm. Mm. That'd be a brilliant outcome. <laughs> yeah, it'd be so cool, right? But it, but ultimately, it's um, I think the tribalism we all have innate in our biology and DNA just writ large, and I suppose extrapolated another level up, you know once once we're all one planet then how do we go beyond that or how do we extrapolate the idea of tribalism beyond that well it's then it's planet versus planet and then maybe it's solar system versus solar system and you carry on right and then galaxy yeah. versus galaxy um but yeah that's uh it's a pretty <laughs> heady thought yeah yeah that's when you get into kind of the uh the intergalactic <laughs> level of thinking galactic. intergalactic but you know i think i think these are all interesting um future outcomes to, to ponder um because human happiness needs to be at the forefront of any development and change um you know if you're changing a, a currency system or the way we treat the nation state obviously let's let's hope that it's for the good of of the planet um but these changes are, I think, whether people are like it or not, they're ha they're happening. Um, you know, the the driveway from the nation state is inevitable. So, it's how we make manage that. There's basically how we manage opportunity, and how we ensure that that happens in a equal and uh, you know a, a positive way, really. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more, brother. But Brother Bear, on the intergalactic note, I think we can wrap this one up. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this one, Brother Bear. It was um, a nice rambler, but I think we touched think on some good points. it was a nice, uh, yes, a rambling meander of, of different ideas um, dedicated to human happiness and peace. Beautiful. And on that note. Farewell. Ta-ta. Ta-ta and farewell. Yeah!